Thank you, Lorraine. I hadn't heard that song before, but it was really helpful, wasn't it? The words, really helpful. Thank you. We'll sing that one again. So we're back in Genesis again, continuing with our series, uh, God at Work, Abraham and Sarah's story. So let me just go through the story so far, because we've been doing this for some weeks now. So it starts, so it started back in chapter 12 with God calling Abraham away from his home, Abram, as he was then, his home in his father's land, to go to a land that God would show him. And God promised to bless him and give him a land of his own and descendants. And we then saw that Abram arrived in Canaan and made his camp there. And God said, I'm going to give this land to your descendants He has no children at this point. But then he discovers that it's a land of famine. And so Abram decided to go to Egypt because there was no famine there. And we saw that that was a bad decision and got Abram into all sorts of complicated problems. But God was faithful and brought them out safely. And then we saw Abram deciding to separate from his nephew Lot that they and their households would go in different directions. And then in chapter 15, we saw that Abram was struggling to hold on to his faith. He and Sarai were pretty old at the start of this story, and the years keep going by, and they still have no children. And God repeats his promise, but they're not getting younger, they're getting older. So where are these descendants going to come from that God keeps talking about? And in chapter 15, we saw Abraham being honest with God, that he was struggling to hold on. And God reassures him and repeats his promise. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham believes him and is reassured. And then last week, we had the story of, there they are, Sarah and Hagar in chapter 16. Sarai comes to the conclusion that she must be the blockage uh, and she attempts to solve the problem by removing herself and giving Abram her servant Hagar as a means to have a child and Hagar has a son called Ishmael. And then now chapter 17 we come to today and I guess we might imagine, we might expect that God now is going to remonstrate with them for not trusting him enough, for being silly enough to try to solve the problem themselves. Maybe a bit of a lecture or a bit of, well you've made your own bed so you must lie on it. Let's see what God says to them next. Chapter 17, it will be on the screen and I will read it for us. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. And then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. 
I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. And then to verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, Regarding Sarai your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of a hundred, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, no, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. When God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. Let's pray together. God, in your grace you have promised to be with us and to be with your people. You spoke at the beginning of time and all of life and creation came into being when you spoke. You spoke to human beings through the person of Jesus and lives were challenged, encouraged and transformed. And so as we open your word now, will you now speak to us with your eternal voice that has spoken down the centuries? Come, Holy Spirit, and make these words live in our hearts. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So, what we see here in chapter 17 is that God doesn't give them a lecture. 
or a telling off after the events of chapter 16, and he doesn't withdraw his promise, and he doesn't withdraw his blessing. Actually, what he does is he restates it again. In spite of everything, he just says to Abram again, this is what I'm going to do. God's promises are like a recurring thread that run through the whole of Abraham's story. They're there in almost every chapter from where we started in chapter 12 through to chapter 25. And that can be a bit of a problem for a preacher because you think, oh, here's God speaking the promise again. What am I going to say about it this time? But every time that God speaks his promise, although the core elements stay the same, There is something that is new, something that is different every time that he repeats it. It's like an unwrapping, layer by layer. Each time we see it in scripture, something new is revealed that we hadn't seen before. And it's those things that are different that we need to pay attention to. In this chapter, God repeats his promise, but there are three things that are new that I want us to notice and think about. So the first thing that's new is that God now, finally, changes their names. And Abram becomes Abraham, and Sarai becomes Sarah. Now to us, that seems like a bit of a pointless change. It's just switching around some letters. There's really not that much difference. Does it mean anything at all? Abram has had Ha added within his name. Well, what's the point of that? Well, it's all about the ha. There it is. That ha that is added to Abraham's name forms part of the Hebrew word hamon, which means swarm or horde. And so this very name change is God reworking and restating his promise. Abraham will not just be the father of a large nation, but the father of a horde of nations. Abraham means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. There is a strong sense of enormous multiplicity in that little addition. A multitude of nations will stem from Abraham. And we can connect that to what we read in Revelation 7, where it says that people from every tribe and nation and tongue will be gathered before God's throne as his people because of Jesus. The multitude of nations that will ultimately stem from Abraham includes every person in time and space who will acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And this series that we're doing, it's called God at Work because through all of the ups and downs of Abraham's story, it is God who is at work behind the scenes, bringing about his purpose. God is at work here. God is laying the foundations here for his salvation plan for the whole of humanity. 
because the baby that will be born centuries hence from Abraham, who will save the world, he will be born to a family descended from Abraham. Now we might think that someone's ancestry is neither here nor there, really. It's not something that we put much emphasis on in Western society anymore. But the reason this matters is because it demonstrates to us that God's salvation plan is not just something he came up with on the spur of the moment. It's not just something that felt right at the time or because humanity had got so bad that he just had to step in and do something. God's salvation plan was unfolding over centuries. And this is the beginning of it. This is the laying of foundations. God was at work 2,000 years before the birth of Christ, unfolding his plan, putting things in place. And he's at work now, 2,000 years after the birth of Christ. He is still unfolding his plan and his purpose. That baby who will be born 2,000 years after these events, who will be the savior of the world, every person who receives that savior will become part of the horde of nations who will gather around the throne and who can trace their salvation to Abraham. Abraham to Abraham means that we are included in God's promise as well. The second thing that's new in God's reiterating of his promise in this chapter is that now Sarah is named in it. Up until this point, as we saw last week, God has promised a son and descendants, numerous descendants to Abraham, but Sarah has not been specifically mentioned. And we saw last week how hard that had been for her. And, and the fact that because Abraham was named and not her, that led her to try to do the right thing and step aside so that he could have a son with someone else. And we tasted a bit of Sarah's pain last week, didn't we? But now, Sarah is named. It's no longer just Abraham who seems to feature, who seems to be noticed by God. It's no longer just Abraham who is singled out for this miracle. This promise and this miracle is for Sarah too. Now biblical scholars can't find any reason really, any particular meaning in the change of her name from Sarai to Sarah. They both just mean princess. It hasn't changed the meaning like it did for Abraham. But I think the very fact of the change is significant because now God does the same for her as he does for Abraham. And so it, it is a practical and visible confirmation that she is included. There's a name change for them both. 
to signify God's adoption of them both into this blessing. In verse 17, Abraham laughs to himself in disbelief at what God says, and he thinks, well, how could I possibly become a father at the age of 100? And how can Sarah have a baby at the age of 90? And he says to God, but surely Ishmael can be the one. And God says, no, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. I guess it's understandable that for Abraham, it's just the existence of a son, any son that matters. But this is breathtakingly huge for Sarah. God has not forgotten her. God has not disregarded her. She is not worthless in his eyes. Sarah will bear this son. We'll come back and look again at Sarah a bit more next week when we get to chapter 18. For now, let's just look at the third thing that is new and different in this iteration of the promise. And that third new thing is that God is now asking something of Abraham in return. So far, apart from having to leave his home and his family right at the start of this story, so far this covenant has been completely one-sided. And that's unusual. Covenants usually mean that both parties agree to what they will do as their part of the covenant. But so far, God has just said to Abraham, basically, I've chosen you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you descendants and land. And Abraham just had to obey. It hasn't really been a two-sided deal, a two-sided arrangement so far. Abraham's contribution to it as an ongoing thing has been nil. And so it's significant in this chapter Because this is the first time we see this, that God now asks something of Abraham. First of all, verses 1 and 2. God appears to Abraham and he says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. And then he goes on to say, I will make a covenant with you and give you countless descendants. So we've heard that second bit before, but that first part is new. And an alternative translation would be, walk before me, live your life before me, and be a person of integrity. The walk that is your daily life, from day to day, from year to year, Live it in God's sight. And God will be watching over Abraham's walk. Watching over in a protective sense. And also watching over in the sense that he will see how Abraham lives his life. And the choices that he makes. 
and be blameless. Live a blameless life. That's a bit uncomfortable. None of us can be perfect, and it feels like that's what it's asking for. And I think it feels a bit defensive as well, doesn't it? To live in a way that we can't be blamed for anything. John Goldingay says that a better translation of that would be whole. Live a life that is whole in the sense of not fragmented or divided, but wholly given and submitted to God. What God is looking for here is a faith that is not pick and mix. Remember pick and mix? Pick the bits I want from God and ignore the bits I don't like so much. Not that. A life whose shape and direction and purpose and entire understanding of itself is based on God, centered on God, and walking before God in his sight. We already know that Abraham is not perfect and not sinless. He messes up. He gets stuff wrong. What God is looking for is faithfulness, not sinlessness, not perfection, but a hanging on in there and not giving up and a wholehearted giving of the whole self. Our chapter also introduces the practice of circumcision as a sign of the covenant between them. This will be the mark that shows that they choose to walk before God and that he claims them as his people. Now, we don't practice circumcision as Christians, which around half of our congregation might be very grateful for. But we do believe that it is important to have a physical sign that we are committing ourselves to God and his way for the whole of the rest of our lives. For us, it's baptism. Jesus set an example of being baptized himself and he commanded his disciples to go and make new disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As a Baptist church, we don't baptize babies. We have a service of thanksgiving and blessing for babies where we thank God for them. But we believe that baptism is a sign of the commitment between me and God. And a person needs to be old enough to choose that for themselves. If you've never been baptized and you'd like to explore it, do come and talk to me about it. You might feel that you need to understand a bit more before you can take that step and that's fine, I'm happy to chat it through. Baptism is a deeply meaningful sign of your commitment to the God who has loved you and that it is your intention and your desire to live a life that is whole, 
and to walk before him, to walk in his sight for the whole of the rest of your life. This bit about circumcision is just important for us to notice it because it's something that God asks for. Abraham didn't decide for himself that it might be nice to make a gesture of gratitude and appreciation to God. This is something that God asks for. And so therefore it matters to God. Because what is thought and said must also be done. The action matters. Because our faith is never just something that stays in here. It is something that is lived and acted. And in some way that we can't explain, this action, this is how belonging is accomplished and strengthened by an action, by moving it out of head and even heart, and out into the physical world. The last thing I want to look at in this chapter is in verse 7. God is marking a new stage that they've reached in their relationship. He says, this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So this is the covenant in its most basic form. I will be your God, yours, and you will be my people. I will be for you, and you will be mine. It's really moving, actually. What God is offering us is a relationship a relationship with himself. But if we're still in the pick and mix section of Woolworths, we might think that we can decide what that relationship is going to involve, that we can set the terms. And we certainly may think that we don't want a God who makes difficult demands or makes us go through painful things but he's not a pick-and-mix God. We can't go out shopping to choose my personal deity for my life in the way that we go shopping for a sofa. We don't get to just choose the bits that sound easy and avoid the rest. Because if that's what we want, then we don't want a God who is God. We don't want him to be God because we want to still be in charge. Somewhere inside us, I think we sometimes feel that God's just not that good at steering my life. If I was in control, I'm sure I could do it better. I definitely wouldn't choose this to happen. I definitely wouldn't allow this if only I was in control. And we can't understand why. He allows things to be so hard sometimes. Why we have to go through such pain and suffering. 
why there has to be really painful things, really difficult relationships, people who hurt us, things that go wrong that aren't our fault. I'm just going to stop people on Zoom because Viv's just tripped and fallen. Let's just make sure Viv's okay. All right, shall I carry on? Is that all right? Yeah, okay, that's fine. We're with you, Viv. Okay, we'll let them get on with caring for Viv. So, I think I was saying that sometimes I think we feel that God is just not that good at steering our lives. And that we go through painful stuff that we really don't want and wish we could do without. God just doesn't seem to do a very good job of piloting my life. And we get angry or frustrated or resentful or distrustful, actually. And I think Abraham and Sarah must have felt that. But they needed to learn a truth about God. We have to learn, like they did, that if we just stay in safe, sunny meadows all the time, we cannot grow. And God's priority is always for our growth in our relationship with him. I think I might stop again because it's quite distracting, isn't it? What do you think, folks? Shall we just stop and, and pray, perhaps? Yeah. Let's just do that. We're finding it a bit difficult to concentrate, so let's just stop. It's all right, Viv. <laughs> Loving God, you see your dear child, Viv, lying on the floor, not where she would choose to be. We just want to pray for her now, that you'll wrap her in your love, that you will bring healing, that we can work out what we need to do. 
just pray that you will bring peace in this situation. Peace to Viv. Peace to us. May we know your presence through all of it. Just pray that Viv will feel strong, that she'll feel your presence beside her, and that you will take care of her in your loving arms. Amen. I think we might wait. It's really quite hard to carry on talking to you when I know that your minds are over there. So if you're happy, I think we'll wait. Is that all right? Maybe just have a little chat or something to those who are near you. Uh, yeah. Mm. It's hard, isn't it? Mm. I wonder if she tripped or got up because she was feeling faint because she's been yeah. doing that a lot lately, hasn't she? Yeah. Is it faint? It yeah. Pardon? It was Viv. Viv. She hasn't been well for a little while, has she? So whether it's to do with that, I don't know. You bring light to the darkness. She was being terrible about this. But it's distressing for everyone there, isn't it? Yeah. Witness it. Chris back again. Loving God, we are faced with unexpected things, and yet we know that your love never fails. And we just want to commit our sister Viv into your hands and those who will care for her. We know that she is lovingly held by you. And as we go from this place now, will you bless each one of us with your grace and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
Or you can use these stairs here. <laughs> of course, we'll 